Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is and this is episode 124. 124. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the second episode with Stephen in Colorado. Um, that was pretty good for an intro, I think. We just got to relearn yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, maybe we should just come up with a standard on who says what, but that... That's just that's too stale and too boring. Yeah. We'll just talk over each other every time now. Exactly, that's way too boring. Um, <laughs> so, last week I was talking about the uh, Max Six Six Eight Two, which was that thermistor, like ADC chip. Yep. Um, so I started designing a breakout board for it because I went to the you know I went to the usual suspects like SparkFun, and um, uh, Element Fourteen. El- well, no. Uh, Sparkfun and and Edifruit. I I got a notification oh. popped up on my computer and I'm like, oh, close that out. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore, completely derails you. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I I'm designing a breakout board, so I'll probably order that soon. And I haven't even got the thermistors in yet from China, so whenever those show up, I can actually start messing with them. Yeah. Um, so probably next couple of weeks or you know how it typically is never <laughs> well no i mean but how it typically is you'll have everything on your bench and then never yeah then never yeah i'd be like right. oh yeah i got all the parts in that's like the next update and then about eight months later i'll be like oh yeah i remember that thing it's done <laughs> <laughs> right right um i also have a uh came out today tuesday um so it's actually gonna be like the previous day for the people listening to this podcast. Um, I had an engineer spotlight on all about circuits. So like I'm famous on that website for like a day. <laughs> cool. <laughs> or infamous depends on your point of view. <laughs> I need to check that out. I, I haven't, I haven't seen that. I need to see what they, uh, what they've written about you. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like a Q and a, and I just answered a whole bunch of questions about like my background and, and, uh, Macrofab and that kind of stuff. So cool. Um, and then, because you know, we always need more projects. Um, I picked up one of these like Ford Ford climate control seat modules. These are the things that go in your like the fancy seats that you know heat up and cool down the seats. They're you know climate controlled. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've always wanted one because they look really cool, and I always really you know wanted to know how they worked. And I was just, I had basically set up an alert on eBay to alert me when one of these things comes on sale and is below a certain price, uh, 40 bucks, and this one triggered, and I'm like, okay, cool, so I bid on it, got it, um, and took it apart and kind of did a breakdown of it and trying to figure out how it works. So it uses a a Peltier, Mm -hmm. uh, which I kind of suspected, but I didn't really know, like, when the Peltier... you know, is activated. One side gets super cold, and one side gets super hot. How do you get rid of the heat or the cold, depending on what you wanted? If you're heating something up or cooling something down, and it basically has the Peltier sandwiched between two copper heat sinks, and then it funnels a fan over both of them, and then diverts the air. So one goes into one, you know, channel would go in your seat, and one just gets exhausted somewhere. Um, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, I actually hadn't figured that part out yet. Like, where does it exhaust it? I, I would figure, like, my dad's Tahoe actually vents it uh, back into the cabin, which doesn't seem really efficient. Uh, yeah, not in Houston. Yeah, and so I'm like, I wonder if you could just vent it outside or something like that. Um, you, you know, the the first thing that came to mind is, a, is an image of your Jeep, which, as you know, long-term listeners know, Parker has spent a lot of time on his Jeep. So you have this kind of like pristine Jeep, but I get this idea of like a dryer hose, like from the back of the seat to like a hole in the side of the Jeep, you know? Yeah. And it's just yeah. like one of those plastic ones with a little flap. Yeah, just like a little ghetto one. Yeah. I was actually looking for something like that, the mount underneath the Jeep. And so like air can come out of it and then air can't go back in. Why don't you be one of those guys that have a snorkel on your Jeep, but the snorkel is actually just the exhaust, exhaust from your, from this your climate control from that seats. thing? Yeah, yeah, it's not an air intake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the Peltier was pretty easy to get fired up. I basically on the Peltier unit's got four wires. 
And that was the most confusing thing was like, which ones power them up? I basically just tried all the combos until it started pulling all the power in my power supply can supply, um, which is six amps. It actually wants like six and a half amps total at 12 volts. Ow. Um, and I was doing some reading, and it looks like these things actually get 16 volts. So there's like a step up that's built mm -hmm. into um, the car seats. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. That was just I was just reading like an EPA paper on like if ventilated seats or climate controlled seats are better than running your air conditioner in terms of like fuel efficiency, and they actually are. So like if you're doing mm. like if you're doing a short commute where it's um your car isn't going to cool down all the way inside it, it's better just to run your air conditioned seats at full blast than to run your air conditioner. And you actually get a better cooling effect on your body. Regardless, mm. um, if you have like a 2015 Ford F-150 that these things come out of and are in Houston and want me and allow me to like poke a multimeter into the seats somewhere. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Figure out what voltage it actually runs off of. Because there's no part numbers. Like, Well, there are part numbers, but like you search for that part number and there's zero results. <laughs> from google <laughs> wow so wait, is your plan to just like basically hardwire it through a switch right to the battery no i'm gonna i'm gonna build i've been designing a controller for it oh okay yeah, something so, that has some smarts in it yeah so you can actually control it and it'll monitor the uh uh you know it'll modulate the uh airflow and modulate the temperature because the other two wires on the pelter are actually a thermistor um and it took a while to figure out which kind of thermistor it is um because at, like, ambient temperature, it's, like, 160 to 170 K, which is a really high-value thermistor. Um, and when you hook up the Peltier in one orientation, it goes up to 240 K ohms. Hmm. And you flip it around, so it gets that side gets um, um, hotter, I think. Yeah, hotter. It goes down to 54 K. Um, That's a huge range. Yeah, and... Looking at, I basically started looking at like what normal temperature curves are, and it looks like a standard 200k NTC thermistor. Um, so I'll probably just be like, Yeah, I, I, it's like I'll have like three temperature settings on each side, so like three hots and three colds, and be like full blast, tiny bit, and then like a middle range on a thermistor. So it doesn't really matter what the temperature is, it's just like at least I can read it and like modulate the, the power. So, so is is the thermistor built into the unit, or is it built into the actual Peltier? It's, I think it's built. To, I think it's sandwiched on top of the Peltier. You can't oh, okay. actually get okay. to it because the copper heat sinks are like epoxied on. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, yeah, you would want them to be fairly efficient. Yeah. So, so I've actually never played with the Peltier um, before, but I've I've certainly looked at a couple of projects that could use them. Uh, you know, there's some guys who make uh, some some temperature controlled refrigerators that use mm -hmm. Peltiers yeah, uh, and things. So uh, the one thing that I I don't know is like how fast does it heat up or cool down? Instantaneously. Really? It's like bam. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. The um, it, 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 when you have this thing running at full power. It seriously, one side has like liquid lava coming out of it, and the other side is like Arctic breeze. Huh. That's that's so interesting. Um, yeah, and and isn't it if you reverse the polarity, it'll yeah, flip? Yeah, it, it flips them. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so the control of the Peltier, because it it pulls like six and a half amps just for the Peltier alone. Um, I was mm. going to get a ginormous like H bridge semiconductor part, um, like the Toshiba. Uh, TB67H303HG, which is a 10-amp H-bridge driver for, like, 8 bucks. So I'm like, okay, that will solve that entire problem. Don't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's, that makes it easy. Yeah, and then read in the thermistor, and then, bam, that's done. Um, so then I started looking at the motor, because it's got a three-wire three motor. And I'm like, okay, it's probably like a normal PC fan where, like, you spin it up and then it either it pulses out a, its RPM. So, like, you count the pulses and then you know how fast the fan's running. It is not that at all. 
Um, it's actually was really weird because I was just like, I put power on the red and black, like you would think about it, and nothing happened. The fan didn't even turn on. Pulling the white wire to power spun the fan up all the way. But then when huh. I re- but then when I removed the red wire, it still kept running. What? Yeah, exactly. It's really weird. So if you take a look at that schematic, I, um, oh, I'll post it. On oh the yeah, Park, Parker post. sent me an image. Yeah, my napkin drawing of the schematic. <laughs> so I actually had to take the fan apart, which is actually a pain in the butt. Uh, it's yeah. got like a, um, well now it's mutilated, but it has a uh, blind C clip. What? Yeah, so that it's, sucks. A, so it's a C. It's a C clip that goes on the inside of the bushing housing but it doesn't have ears or anything on it Mm. so it's like one way install so the only way to get it out is to basically take a screwdriver a thin screwdriver and then pry the bronze apart just enough to wedge it in and pop it out so it's semi-destructive yeah this was not ever meant to be deconstructed no no um it goes back together pretty well though so that's good Mm. um so I had to All right, so it, what do you got here? Yeah, so I had to take it apart. So it's got the the box on the right is the driver. Um, the, yep. the, uh So the driver is an LB11988 uh, made by On Semiconductor. Um, it's a three-phase brushless motor controller. Okay. Uh, kind of standard for these kind of motors. And I kind of just drew a box that was like hall effects and windings because it's like, woohoo, you know, don't really care about that. Um, it, that does what it, that does what it <laughs> needs to do. That's, that's the business end. <laughs> that's the business end, but it's not the end that I really cared about. Right. And so then I drew like the power input, which is what I was like trying to figure out. Why is it when you apply power to the white wire and black wire, it powers up? Especially since when you look at it, that white wire goes directly to the gate of that MOSFET. Okay. And then it goes down to this 1K resistor. That goes into mm-hmm. pin 22. Pin 22 is VS, which is motor voltage. So that, that goes okay. directly to the drivers on the inside. Tw- pin 21 is uh, VCC, so that powers up the internal like sensing components of the chip. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, why is it? How is that? Like, there's no way an amp is going across a 1 kilo ohm resistor at 12 volts. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No. It had to be a thousand volts <laughs> for that to work. <laughs> that's that's usually how it works. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I I took the chip off or I took that MOSFET off and it of course stopped working. So I'm like, okay, so it is going through that part, and then just like kind of like half soldered it on and trying to figure out where the amperage was going through. And basically, I figured it was going from directly from the gate. To the source. Wait, okay. what is? The power. How? Because it's not a MOSFET. Uh, what, is, what do you think? <laughs> well, okay. We, 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 started, we started with the presupposition that it was a MOSFET. Well, it's, so. got, a, it's, got, okay, a, so, it's so, got a marking on it. It's a D-pack package with a marking is it 065886A. And if you know what that is, let us know. Because I cannot, I've, I've looked at like 200 data sheets, trying to figure out what that thing is, and I can't find it. So what it's do you think a, that is? Um, it's a SCR or a TRIAC or a DIAC or something like that. You know, it's, uh, a, it's, it's probably a, it's a bipolar BJT. And well, you know, they're not going to be heating up the base that much. They're not going to be dumping all the power in the base. Well, only because if you wire it up wrong, you do. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, you, did, you destroy I, it. You mean? I, well, because I, I, I measured a 0.7 volt drop across what would be the, the base to emitter. emitter, a basin emitter, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. That's not supposed to be there with if it's a MOSFET, right? And then I started looking at DPAC automotive uh, transistors. And you can have a base current up to two amps on some of them. Oh, really? Okay. So that's what's happening is if you don't hook up that red wire, all the power from the fan goes through the base of that PJT. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I, the, the, that's actually so. So what's funny is is what what's happening there is usually like one of the first mistakes you make with BJTs is you just like run gobs of juice through the base because you plugged it in backwards or something like that. Which that's actually like there's always current flowing in a BJT's base. Like that's yeah. how they work. They're current controlled uh, device. Uh, so so you want that to happen, but it's usually a lot lot smaller than two amps. Yeah. So it's pulling. If you if you don't put, plug in the red wire, it pulls 1.6 amps into that base. Now, wow. Okay. The moment you hook up that red wire, that base current drops to like a milliamp. Yeah, yeah, because it probably has a fairly decent gain in the transistor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And so, if you, what's what's the voltage at the white wire? Twelve volts. 12 volts. Okay. Okay. Wow. So it's, it, so if it's dropping, uh, uh, 0.7, uh, yeah. times, let me see here. One, uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's 1.12 Watts. That's uh, that's enough to heat it up. And the thing is though, it wasn't heating up because of how this thing's constructed. This is actually a aluminum backed clad board. One layer. Oh, okay. So it's huge heat sink. Yeah, so that entire thing is like two inches in diameter. So the whole thing's a heat sink. And so it's like, I was trying to figure out where this power is. How is it getting to the motor controller? And yeah, so it goes it goes, goes straight through that BJT's base. Oh, that's great. I guess they could have fixed that if they put a, you know, a base junction uh, resistor to, to like snub that. Snug uh, yeah. off a bit. Yeah, I mean it. It, it wouldn't solve that, but it, yeah, it would. It would cut it down to whatever's the resistor limits it to. Well, I'm I'm saying solve it as terms of someone trying to reverse engineer it without having to crack open the fan of what that pin did. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but here's the thing: you ran it with it, it has three wires, and you ran it with two. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like, well, something's gonna happen. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing is, I'm like, okay, maybe when I, my first thought was maybe the white wire is positive power and black was ground what's mm-hmm. the red wire do and so i put my scope on i'm like maybe that's where you get the pulse or something yeah see see pull that one off <laughs> no I, I put that on the on the scope and i'm getting like a constant five volts yeah and so it's actually like the reverse bias of that diode that's up there that's for reverse polarity it like yeah. leaks enough to where like the scope can pick up five volts off of it. Wow, that's crappy. Yeah, it's probably the cheapest diode they can put on there. That it's it, that diode's like it's labeled four A four N. So it, whoever knows what that is. Yeah, Auto- automotive stuff actually has funky part numbers. Yes. Um, yeah. I ran in that same numbers. thing doing the Jeep radio and cross-referencing part numbers. From Chrysler part numbers to actual part numbers that you can. Oh yeah, for. I I remember you were you were actually you were doing um, hardcore reverse engineering by looking at just random data sheets yeah. and seeing if it matched the, <laughs> the chip pinouts. that you saw. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah, that's, that's it worked. <laughs> it worked. It took you a while, but it worked. Yeah. Uh, actually, you have some good thing. dedication. I actually did that same thing with the uh, LB one one nine eight eight a bit because this is actually the HR version. But when you actually search for that part number, which is on the chip, it comes up with a smaller package that doesn't match the pinout. And so I had mm-hmm. to keep searching and eventually found the right right data sheet. So it'd be nice to see if that's actually a BJT, you know, guy right there. I'm going to bet you it is. And then it it's, makes It sense. smells like one. It's, it makes sense now. But when I was thinking, like, it's a MOSFET because it's like it's a D-pack package. Um, the how it's laid out is correct for a MOSFET, and I'm like, how is the gate on that MOSFET pulling two amps? Impossible, <laughs> unless the MOSFET's blown. <laughs> you know, it actually kind of reminds me. There's a uh, there's a YouTube guy that Parker and I both watch. I'm not going to actually call him out this time, but uh, he 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 takes apart uh, uh, stuff 
occasionally and he'll he'll pull up the the circuit board and and if there's just if there's anything that looks black and has legs on it he's like well that's a mosfet right there you know like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is he's always just like well that's a mosfet, that's a MOSFET. <laughs> and if you're looking at it, it's like no no that's not that's not a mosfet yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love it um i didn't make some guesses or in good you know uh, choices in terms of figuring out if it was a MOSFET at first, but further testing showed it was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and if you pull that off again, you're probably not going to, but you could always do, you know, the diode check on, on um, the collector to base and then the base to emitter. And yep. if you see two diodes, then you're pretty much guaranteed it's a BJT. Yeah. I might do that again if the motor bearing can suffer another disassembly. It's been a part a couple of times. That C-clip's getting a little tired. <laughs> Especially because you're you're cranking on it with a screwdriver. That's the only way to. You, it's a blind C clip hole. Like it's actually potted too from the get go, so you have to take the potting out to get to the C clip. Wow. Yeah. Well, they never expected one of these would get in the hands of a guy like you. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe someone at Ford that designed this thing will will chime in. Let us know what that part is. Where can they chime in at? Podcast at macred.com. Email. That's an email address. Yeah. <laughs> or actually jump on the Slack channel. There's a bunch of people on the Slack channel now. Yeah. Just what? Macfab.slack.com? Something like that. They actually were yeah. helping me out reverse engineer this thing. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. It's it, There's a lot of lively conversation all day long. Yeah. So, Stephen, what lively yeah. conversation have you brought to the table? Uh, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, no. So uh, <laughs> last last week I uh, talked about that micro tracer mm-hmm. or the U tracer or whatever. Um, so uh, I actually did some work on it this this last week uh, in my downtime. And so uh, not I'm I'm not going to like post up a schematic or anything because it's fairly boring at the moment. But uh, one of the things that I was wanting to do was have it such that you could you know flip signals all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. Within the the micro tracer, because there's there's six separate signals that the the tracer outputs. Two of them are heater uh, pulses, so they are 12 volts, but they're PWM 12 volts. So they're okay. they're also high current. Uh, so you have two high current, high frequency content signals. You have another one that's a zero to negative 40 volt, which is your control signal for your tubes. You have two signals, uh, separate signals that are uh, zero to four hundred volt, uh, mm-hmm. and they 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 are at zero volts. And when you press go, they jump up to whatever you choose, but anywhere between zero and uh, four hundred volts. And then you have another signal which is effectively ground. It's sort of virtual, but it is a ground. Um, and so, what I wanted was a circuit where any one of those signals I could automatically route that. To any pin on a tube socket, yeah. And I was originally going to do it with just uh, rotary switches, where you know it just you kind of just like oh. switch whatever you want. And then scope I started thinking about, creep. yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, this is total scope creep. This is going to be great because originally, yeah, it was just going to be rotary switches, all going to be like a passive thing. And then I was like, well, but there could be the chance where I could, you know, put one of the 400 volt signals into the high powered current. 12 volt thing and i'd blow both circuits or you know so it was like how do i make something that i can control such that it can never like short itself out and stuff and so yeah it's totally scope creeped into now i have like a whole board with an stm32 processor (laughs) controlling a relay matrix uh and i have nine rotary encoders that are all push button uh, and nine uh, seven-segment displays, and and they all represent one pin on a tube socket. And if you want to change a pin, what you do is you press the number, like say number three, you press number three, and then the seven-segment display will flash, and you can rotate it, and it'll say anode, cathode, screen, heater, and then you press it again, and it'll rearrange the, the relay matrix such that it drives that signal to that pin um, on that so, yeah, I know I scope creeped it real freaking hard. That uh, went from, but, like, you know, something that, like, you will solder together in an afternoon to, like, a week's worth of layout. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally digging it. I'm loving it. I actually have most of the schematic done. It's it's The thing about it is it's 
tons of step and repeat like you design mm-hmm. like one little sub circuit and then multiply it by nine and yeah. you just keep doing that uh so i've got almost everything done i just need to excuse me put the uh the rotary encoders um all there and i chose actually the the stm32 chip mainly because i've never messed with stm before so i want to learn that i mean i shouldn't say that when i was working at macrofab i did a lot of stm work but that was for customers ton of customers that use them so i'm really really well aware on like the hardware aspect on how to program them and how and options behind that yeah yeah but but i've never actually like you know coded for them Mm -hmm. uh so i'm it seems it seems pretty nice and um let me see here i actually have the part number let me pull it up. I'm using an STM32F373C8T, which is, is a, a 40. Is that a was popular it? one? Uh, you know, to be honest, I have no clue. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what is or isn't popular with these things. Uh, but but this this guy has a, is a 48 pin uh, QFP uh, and it has just enough pins such that I can shove all the rotary encoders and all of their push buttons, which is uh, directly direct to IO. the yeah, direct IO. So it makes it easy. And I'm just because I, I'm actually throwing um, USB on it because with these chips, uh, you can put them in DFU mode and just program over USB, mm-hmm. which makes it super easy. And I don't have an ST link uh, available here. I, I'm sort of building this project with the fact that, like, I'm in a temporary apartment. I have my soldering iron and my computer. What can I do with that? You know, <laughs> like, how do I make that work? And so, like, if I could program over USB, that makes it easy. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, I almost have that done. Um, my my wife is actually going out of town this weekend, and for for you know, a lot of people, they're like, woohoo! Like, I get to go party. And for me, I'm like, yes, I get to do PCB layout all weekend long. So, um, yeah, I'll be doing that. Hopefully, by next project, I'll actually have something that maybe it's even on order. Who knows? That's cool. Yeah. So that the it's it's it is scope creep, and it's a brute force, you know, solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. But given all those signals that I was talking about, you know, there's some that are high current, uh, yeah. and high switching transients. There's some that are zero to four hundred volts. There's others that are zero to negative. You know, they're they're like you have the whole gamut of everything. Yeah. How do you like switch those to? their respective pins wherever they need to go without crosstalk and being able to handle all of that stuff. And the only thing that came to mind is like, you basically have to do it with relays. Like that's, that's your only option. Uh, it would be awesome to use like analog switches or something like that. But, and and at the same time, you want that, you want things to be fairly precise. Like if you send it 300 volts, you want, you want an actual 300 volts to to be there. there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking it's like, you went from like, 60s era design where like it will have like a it just says warning on the box but you don't know why <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> to like yeah. modern day like hold your hand safety device yeah yeah absolutely well and 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 this is this is just totally a, a goofy project um but I, i'm gonna i'm gonna send some pictures to the to the guy who designed the actual tube tester, uh, you know, this is like a secondary little thing. So, I, I, you know, maybe maybe he'll like it, maybe he won't. But uh, uh, I want to actually put it in a box, so I have to repackage this um, mm-hmm. to now. Because because I'm I I've, for years I used a little project box, yep. uh, and it was great when I was running Craig amplification because I used this to test tubes all the time, uh, and that box has kind of seen better days. Um, and there's a couple other things I want to do with it because I always ran this off of a power supply. Um, and now I want to actually have a power supply inside the box and stuff. So I'm sort of doing upgrades all around. You just put, put in a C13 power supply or power cord on it. Actually. Uh, so he originally designed this. I, I, no, I, I don't know. But uh, the the original design actually runs off of a laptop power supply. So I'm just going to grab a, a regular 19.5 volt laptop power supply, uh, and it only it only consumes like 200 milliamps tops. Um, so I'm just going to basically buy one of those power supplies and install it inside the box. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's cheap and easy. Yeah, uh, C13. That's like the PC design. That's power cord thing. There's probably a NEMA number as well for it, but... Oh, oh, okay. No, yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that those were called C13. Huh. Yeah. 
Uh, I always just call them IEC cables, but that's probably wrong. Well, I think they have an IEC number, so it's not yeah. 100% correct, but it's also not 100% wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be I'm not going to be UL listing this singular project here. So you should spray paint UL on the side. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, get a stencil, but make it big so that people can yeah. see it. And they're like, "Oh, this is safe, safe." <laughs> some bleed over and some paint drip on it. Yeah, we we, we have a a, a Tormach mill at uh, at my new job, so. Uh, I, I I may ask permission to mill out a uh, faceplate such that like all the seven segments can fit through it and stuff like that. Oh, you should just oh. make it out of, just get a solid block and just make a billet case. <laughs> just like one <laughs> solid, yeah, but but like big, make it like two feet by one feet by like three inches th- thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a four hundred dollar uh, block of uh, of you know raw steel or something. Aluminum, yeah. And aluminum like, yeah, yeah. it's like hey boss i need to borrow the mill for how long two weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah right i'm also gonna need 50 of your end mills yeah <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right cool you want to run off to the rfo yeah and you're you're in command of the rfo this week yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got I've got two things on the RFO. So the first one is titled "Digital Circuits Now with More Analog." Ooh. Uh, and then I got a, like, a fun little thing for you uh, after that. So this first one uh, we, we've talked about these uh, before, but have you? Uh, do you remember memristors, or have you heard of them recently? Uh, not until I wrote that down on this on notes today. Cool. Cool. So uh, this was actually kind of a, um, you know, it, it sort of hit like big news a few years back. HP uh, designed the first or actually physically built the first memristor, yep. which a memristor is, they call it the fourth fundamental component. You have resistor, capacitor, inductor, and then there's a fourth memristor, which it doesn't feel very fundamental if you don't just like, if they're not just lying around, you know, it's like... <laughs> But but yeah, regardless, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. if, if, if there, there's a there's a cute little chart online that you can look um, at where it shows like you know a resistor uh, relates voltage and current, a capacitor is charge and blah 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 blah. Uh, well, a memristor, I, I, I think a memristor relates charge with uh, magnetic flux. I'm probably wrong on that, but regardless, it it, it relates two fundamental characteristics um, together. And and basically, what a, what a memristor is, it's a resistor that changes its resistance based off of the current flowing through it. Memristor is an electrical component that limits or regulates the flow of electrical current in a circuit and remembers the amount of charge that has previously flowed through it. So it is... Thank you, Wikipedia. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, so th- I actually read a, uh, a, f- a fun kind of uh, example where it's like, think of like a, a water tube or like a sewer tube that would grow or shrink based off of how much water uh, flows through it. Uh, and like if you so if you pass a certain current through, it, it would expand to be whatever it needs to. And as soon as you stop that current, it just stays that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in other words, you, you sort of have a two uh, to leaded component, just like a resistor, capacitor, inductor, that has memory in it. Uh, so you can actually store things in it. Uh, and because it's a physical aspect, you're not actually like storing charge or anything. Uh, it's it remains that way. So it's like it's it's memory that locks itself in place. Like e- mm-hmm. even flash memory is holding onto a charge. You know, it, you know. I think flash memory has a uh, what a thousand years. What they say, so it'll hold memory for that long well a memorist is supposedly supposed to uh hold it for longer than that uh which is which is pretty cool but what the reason why i brought uh even put this on an rfo um is i saw a uh, an article that actually referenced an article that came out earlier this year in january where a, a, a university has actually now developed a memorister that can record seven bits worth of data in a single memorister so in other words they have a a, like think of that water tube that can expand to 128 different you know resistance values and they can read that and they can read that so there's we now have two-legged components that store up to seven bits of data that's pretty cool 
Yeah, that's pretty. So, cool. so think of think, so like if you you know if you look inside of like a memory you know unit, you're you're gonna have a transistor plus whatever passives go along with that for every single bit of worth of data. Now, you know, with with memristors, the the hope is in the future that you can store way more data in a single uh, item. Yeah, single unit, and and it'll just stay that way. You know, it's not it doesn't have to hold charge or anything. Um, and one of the things that they actually were discussing in this article, that's on uh, electronicsweekly.com, if you want to go check it out, they're discussing um, that uh, they they actually put two of these uh, memristors in an output of a CMOS device, uh, a totem pole CMOS device, which is usually just a uh, you know a P channel and an N channel okay. MOSFET. Yep. That that basically allow you to just switch an output high or low, but uh, with putting two of these you know memristors in place, they could actually have the output of a CMOS device be an analog value in between the the, the two uh, channels, which is really cool if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so maybe you know in 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 our lifetime we might be able to see chips that have memristors on both the input and output, such that you can just digitally pass an analog value you know without having to like sample it you're just literally just passing it a value yep. uh and and so you know the the days of binary may be going away you know with these things so apparently i've heard that they're notoriously difficult to actually make and they're not cheap uh so who knows maybe somebody will crack the code and we get something with like infinite values or whatnot but uh i thought that was pretty cool infinite values brings us back yeah. to the potentiometers yeah potentiometers yeah the the data sheet that that has a it said for its it was positional accuracy or it was like rotational accuracy and it said theoretically infinite Infinite. it says (laughs) on the data sheet yeah Yeah, on the data sheet that's classic well remember um transistors used to be you know super expensive and difficult to make Uh, oh yeah and so you know i think if there's going to be an application for these things they will be made. Oh and yeah, the and I mean, come down. And and you know, uh, I remember reading the first article when HP said that they they were happy that they made four of them that actually displayed you know characteristics of memristance. Yep. You know, uh, and now they're now they have some where they're getting up to the point where it's like seven bits per memristors. You know, that's usable. Yeah. Uh, so the. And and one of the biggest applications for this is um, sewer memory, of course. Yeah, sewer tubes. Yeah, yeah, sewer <laughs> tubes. No, uh, memory, because this can this can make memory smaller and faster. And if you could just keep adding bit depth to each memristor, yeah. uh, you just you know, and 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 technically this is a passive device. You know, it's not active. So um, how does it? How's the tunnel shrink in that example? Do they pass it a reverse current? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think yeah. W- w- current in one direction expands, and current in the other shrinks. Um, gotcha. And there's a lot of there's a lot of applications actually. Um, I watched a YouTube video on this a while back. It's it's confusing but interesting at the same time. Uh, this the, these work really well in making memristance gates. Uh, so so gate level things, oh gate level components that are passive gates that uh, remember their states. Um, so, you know, you pass a current into a gate and then even if you turn your device off, it's still there, you know, yep. uh, uh, they, I also read something, uh, you know, guys thinking into the future where it's like your computer can just shut itself off at any time and just remember where it's at effectively. And as soon as you want to like fire back up, it just reads all the states and just goes to town. It, and I shouldn't even say it's not really even reading states. You see, what's interesting about these kind of devices is they really do blur the line really hard between digital and analog because uh, you have to worry about where the analog signal is now in between mm-hmm. your two states. There is no high and low anymore with these things. So, interesting. Cool. Yeah, I thought that was food for thought. Yeah, hopefully in two more years we get another update on these devices. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, I, I think we talked about them when HP came out with them. I remember we talked we, yeah. about them once on the podcast. Yeah, we've talked about them before. Um, but you know, I, I think it's going to be a long time before we, before we see anything that you can actually do with them. I even did a search earlier today. I was like, can you buy a memristor? Like, get, does anyone have them? And I, you know, just a quick Google doesn't 
give you anything. So even to learn how to play with them. Uh, but there are there's actually already um, uh, books available uh, that uh, you know talk about design work. So they they must be available somewhere. But hmm. you know, what's I, up? I actually just googled uh, Memrister for sale. Yeah. And B S A F W eight discrete Memrister sixteen dip. What is this? Uh, like available? Straight from the lab of Memrister pioneer Dr. Chris Campbell at Boise State University. Well, okay, yeah. What uh, is this? Here, let me send you the link. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, is this forty-two to two hundred and twenty dollars? Yeah, is what you're looking at. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you can you can get you can get some like handmade lab devices, but in other words, like you can't go to one of the big guys and get Memristers yet, you know. Oh, and it's not like so like if you the first option it says wafer sixteen two one and it says chip from wafer number sixteen and one device one out of eight has failed quality control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a while before you just get one that has a good data sheet that you can, you know, play with. Oh, so you can get a wafer sixteen two two, all eight devices have passed quality control. Hundred and eighty bucks. Are you gonna do it? You get wait. You need a memorister in your 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 butt air control air control. <laughs> thing. <laughs> you need like ultimate high tech to cool your butt off. Well, so we have two names for that project. I like ABCC, which is automa- automotive butt climate control, and yeah. Stephen has. Uh, well, I I think I called it the Canyon Cooler. Yeah, Canyon Cooler, <laughs> the C square. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Hey, you guys tell us which one you like better. <laughs> if um if someone out there sends Steven or I a check for 180 bucks, we'll buy with this memorister and try to build something with it. <laughs> we will buy $180 worth of beer and then <laughs> later on buy, buy a memorister. <laughs> All right, so cool. uh yeah, so you can, yeah, you can the, buy a memorister well, you could buy lab memristers, yeah. yeah. You can get a discount if you order more. They got price breaks. They <laughs> got price breaks if you order over one. Yeah, the price exactly. Break yeah. Happens. <laughs> you get a price. If you order 32 of them, you get a 30% discount. Oh, wow. It's it, That's interesting because it's probably, not probably, it's going to be, you know, guys from a lab selling, and the only guys who are probably buying are guys who in a lab, you know. Yeah, exactly. And now two goofy engineers want one. Yeah, well, so what we, yeah. What would for a lab, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about it earlier. There's got to be some really cool uh, automatic gain control functions um, by being able to morph current. Or with these, I would think that there's a uh, that it would be possible to do conversions like uh, linear to exponential mm-hmm. with this kind of thing, where if you linearly ramp up current into this thing. Because it's changing its resistance, can you can you turn that into something else? You know, like if you put a constant current into it, what does the voltage do yeah. across this thing? Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of fun things that that uh, you know I'd have to look at like its response curves and and what resistance it's gonna you know flow between and things like that. Also, like there's there's a there's for sure a way that you could damage these things, but I'm not entirely sure how that is. You know. And the thing that's interesting, if it's changing its resistance all the time, then it would also be changing how much power it dissipates. So I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah, we we'll have to figure something out. Yeah. Fun. It's pretty cool. Yep. Okay, so uh, on to the next RFO. Sure. So uh, this one is actually a question that I had for you. And, and actually, funny enough, it sort of, in a way, goes a little bit with, you know, what you were saying earlier with your, the engineering spotlight that you had with All oh, About boy. Circuits. Well, it, they were asking you about you and, yep. like, what makes you tick and things like that. Um, so Hopefully my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, un- unless you haven't told me. Uh, but uh, you're the only engineer at Macrofab right now, right? Yep. There's not another engineer there. So if there were to be another engineer at Macrofab, there's a pretty high likelihood that you would be part of 
the uh, the interview process for said engineer, right? Yeah. So what if, if thinking about Parker and thinking about Macrofab, what would you want or what do you want in an engineer for Macrofab? Um, I would say if I if so, if I was hiring someone for Macrofab for an engineering position, it would be can they look at a design or have they designed something before from a to b from like conception to product it's not really even like an electrical engineer at that point you turn more into a product engineer i would say that's what you are too steven you're not an electrical engineer you're a product engineer you can do the majority of the mechanical design work you can do the electrical work you can come up with the concept and Price it out and make sure it's reasonably priced for when you sell it. Stuff like that, which is everything a product engineer needs to do. And that, yeah, that's what I look for in engineers. Is cool. So, so not, I don't, I don't like to hire people that have very narrow skill sets, mainly because we're a startup and like you, you have to have lots of skill sets to, you know, thrive at Macrofab. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the, the I I think that's actually a really great um, that's that's a great answer to that and and one of the things that I've been told before and I've done it actually before um, is if you have a product or a device that you've made um, bring it to an interview. Oh yes, bring, uh, I I really like seeing um, what other people are building and designing, and that's like extra brownie points. Yeah, yeah, especially because it makes things really easy to talk about because it's just right there. Questions, people, uh, the person who's interviewing you, if you're the engineer, uh, they they will just have questions about the device sitting there as opposed to them having to, like, generate questions or, you know, even worse, if they get, like, a, a sheet of questions from HR, you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, those are the worst. But, yeah, no, if, if you have a device actually sitting there, that's, that's, that's really, really good. Yeah. So. Well, there you go. If 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 in the future there's an engineering position available at Macrofab, Parker gave you some some sweet inside <laughs> inside to, knowledge. Uh, to, yeah, inside <laughs> knowledge, yeah. Um, I would say that's for me at least. For me, that's I would want to work at places that are like that. Um, yeah, for sure. And it sounds like WMD is like that too. Where I th- I I brought my synth along. Uh, and and brought it to the the interview. interview process. Uh, yeah, yeah, I brought it, and it's funny because it's a musical instrument. We didn't play it at all in the uh, in the interview. We so just talked about it, but like empty box that was that, that was enough. Says, you could have brought an empty cardboard yeah. box that says yeah. Steve Synth on the side. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, please, uh, can you explain your design uh, theory behind this?" I was like, "Well, I got a cardboard box and I got a sharpie and I just wrote on the outside." <laughs> no, you plug two cables in it and apply. 40 kilovolts and then arcs across and that's your sound (laughs) and then yeah no and you use your mouth and you just go (laughs) (laughs) so actually you know now now this okay because throughout my time at macrofab i certainly got asked this multiple times and i know you and i have together been asked this multiple times so what we just described right there was a guy who probably has some experience already. You know, yeah. he's already designed a product or whatnot. How about if you uh, were interviewing a kid fresh out of college? What, what about what would you say to a kid like that? What was your senior design project, and what you do on it? Can you bring it here if you can't bring it here because it's something like my senior design project was really lame and it was like. It was software, and I'm a hardware engineer. I wrote software for my senior design project. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of lame. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, I, I would say, I, like, what hobbies are they doing? I mean, you don't have to have – you don't have to build electronics to be a really good electrical engineer, but the kind of stuff I'm interested in engineers is engineering is part of their life and one of their hobbies as well. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people got to see if they eat and breathe it. Yeah. I like people that are like that. I know 
that rubs some people the wrong way, like work should be work and you go home. That's fine. When you go home, I don't work on MacFab stuff when I go home. I work on my own electronics and my Jeep and all that stuff. Like, it's separate. Um, and I understand that. It's just like, that's what, that, those are the kind of engineers I like to hang out with. And I think if you can't yeah. hang out with your coworkers, you, you probably didn't get the right person. <laughs> Parker wants it to be a party all day long. Oh yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, well okay. So there's there's one other thing, uh, and and this is this is hot tips by Steve right here. If you're if you're interviewing with uh, Parker, if 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 he asks you what music you like, just say Meatloaf, and uh, <laughs> and you get a job immediately. Especially if you can listen to Meatloaf all day long. Yeah. I think I think we got in trouble multiple times because we had meatloaf going for oh, on, multiple hours. On Speaker multiple McBoxface. Yeah, it's Speaker McBoxface. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now this is the Macrofab reminiscing nostalgia hour right here, yeah. and it's only been like a month. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yep. secret hot tips by Steve for getting a job. Or Laserhawk. Laserhawk is good, yeah. Yeah, Laserhawk. The is guys, good. the guys at my work know Laserhawk and Comtruce and all those guys. They don't know Meatloaf though. <laughs> I'm sure they do know Meatloaf, but they're, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't let that side come out yet. I haven't been there long <laughs> enough. You haven't you know, let like, Meatloaf out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, you, you, think... you gotta wait a little before you get weird. Like a marketing people would be angry if i made that the title of the podcast for this week <laughs> <laughs> okay we need to wrap up this episode <laughs> yep yep uh so that was the macrofab engineering podcast we were your host Stephen craig and parker Dillman. take it easy later everyone Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or meatloaf song you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. Everyone there loves meatloaf, um, especially the food. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it leases. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.